So we're going to be in um, John chapter 6, and so if you, haven't, uh, if you haven't gone there yet in your Bibles uh, while Hunter was reading, that's where we'll be. So it, we're, um, I'm just going to pray for us one more time to, to maybe to settle my heart too, uh, but to just kind of get us uh, it kicked in gear with this. So let's pray. Father, pray now for those who are uh, weary and in need of rest. Father, I pray now for uh, those who mourn and need comfort from you. And I pray, Father, for those who might feel worthless and wonder if you even care. Lord, I pray now for those who, who may fail and desire strength. And I pray now for all of us who sin and, in, and are in great need of a Savior. Thank you for your Son, Christ, who is the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, and the friend of sinners. We love you, Jesus, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. So, John chapter 6, we've been here since about 1985. (laughs) Our clothes have gone out of style, and they've come back into style since we've been in John chapter 6. That's how long we've been here, it seems like, but we're going to try to wrap it up uh, today, there's just so much in John chapter 6. To be honest with you, um, I think I speak for David and for Trent when I say we probably went too fast, um, we, but we've been, we've been a few months here. Um, and, and what we see through John chapter 6 is that Jesus has been loving, he's been serving, he's been preaching, he's been teaching all through John chapter 6. And because because of these miracles that he was performing, right? Because of the, the display of his authority, the, the display of, of his power, he's gathered a bunch of people, right? He's, he, a lot of people have, have been following him around, these crowds, this multitude of people. Um, and, and last week and the week before, we started seeing Jesus kind of take it up a notch in what he was preaching and what he was teaching, uh, that that he, as, he, as, as he preached to these crowds, and remember, when he fed the 5,000 is what our Bibles might say, it, in reality, it was about 18,000 people because the Bible only records that it was about 5,000 men. But if you count women and children along with them, we're talking a, a multitude of people beyond 5,000. So that's about the size of the crowd. We're, we're roughly around 12 to 15,000 at this point. And Jesus takes the message up a notch, and what happens is this crowd gets reduced to 12, right? And so this is a little bit different than, than our modern day uh, understanding of who Jesus is, right? Because we, Jesus loves you. He welcomes you with open arms. Everyone come, put your faith in Jesus. That's great news. Um, but we're afraid as the church, I believe at times, to preach a message that would reduce this crowd down to about five. And, and God forgive us when we do that, when we give in to that idea where we want to see the crowds and we want to maintain that attendance uh, and forsake the message of the gospel of who Jesus Christ is so that we can have a crowd, right? And so Jesus didn't, didn't go down that road. You know, he had, every, he had a crowd that every church would love to have, and he starts throwing out things like, yeah, well, if you, want to, if you want to continue to know who I am, you want to get connected to the Father, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, understandably, that's going to reduce the crowds, right? I mean, it just really does. I, I, I kind of confessed that last week that I might have been one of those, um, one of those disciples who said, I, I'm out, man. I'm, I can't, I don't even understand what you're talking about. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, but here's the deal. Jesus is preaching the gospel. 
He's preaching the good news of the gospel. And because, the, because he's preaching this, this gospel, it confronts people. It confronts areas where people don't want to be confronted. That's what the gospel does. And so here's Jesus doing this. He's not trying to be harsh. He's not trying to be judgmental, right? He's just not, he's not trying to be mean. Um, Jesus, he's doing all of this out of, out of the kindness of his heart, right? Jesus is being kind to these people by being honest and being, being truthful and being transparent with them. And he's saying all these things. He's saying, hey, you know, I, I'm telling you these things so that you may come to me and have life. I'm not telling you these things to make you run away and, and because these things are hard for you to understand or, or you're not buying it. I want you to have life. So Jesus is being kind. He's doing this out of his kindness. And we pick up in verse 60 this morning. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, many of his disciples, it does, this is not including just the 12. Like People who said, hey, I'm in, Jesus. I'm following you, right? They were kind of counted as disciples, but they weren't part of the 12. Um, so, so John the Baptist had disciples, right? So there were, there, Jesus wasn't the only one who had the exclusive rights on, on dis, the word disciple or the, the person of disciple. Um, so there were many people who were following him and who were listening to him teach. That puts them in the category as of disciple. And so here they say, I, I, this, this is hard to understand. Now, here's the deal. Think about this for a second. How many times has this happened to us? Like some people can stay in their Bibles and they can read and they can understand God's word and they feast on it. And other ones are just like, man, Blake, really? I just don't understand it. Like it's hard. I, I don't read my Bible because I don't understand it. Like we kind of get that same, we had that same mentality. These things are hard for me to receive. The words of Jesus are hard for me to understand. Who can listen to it? So today's message is really going to be categorized in those, those two responses that we saw in Scripture here, right? As, as, as Hunter read through that, you see that there was, a, there was one side that said, these words are very hard. Who, who, who can listen to them? These are hard sayings. And they check out. And, but, but the other response at the end where Peter said, where else are we going to go? Like you have the words of eternal life. So what in the world creates those two polar opposite responses? Jesus is he's preaching one message, and the response of some are, it's too hard, I'm out. And the others are saying, there's nowhere to go. You're the only one that has, has the words of eternal life. So let me just say this. For those of you um, who, who might be in that category who say, I don't read my Bible because it's really hard for me to understand, and the same category for those disciples who are checking out right here. Let me just say that the Bible is not necessarily so hard to read as it is you're afraid that whenever you're confronted with it that you have to respond, right? And that's just the reality. Like, your Bible's not hard to read. What's hard is that when, what I read, I'm going to have to respond to. I'm accountable to that. And so I'd rather just not touch it and go, go my own way. Right? And that's the same thing that the disciples here are saying, like, I don't get that. And I'll get close enough to you, Jesus, to kind of see you do the dog and pony show. But when you start talking about eating your, eating your flesh and drinking your blood, I don't, I'm out, man. That's too hard, and I don't, I don't understand that. Because at that point, you put your stake in the ground, right? Like, I'm now stepping over that line to I am a follower of Jesus no matter the cost, no matter the popularity contest that I might lose, no matter the persecution that might come. Uh, you're, you're stepping over that line at that point. And the same goes for us when we read Scripture today. So the real issue, if I can say it this way, is not that the words of Jesus are too hard as much as your hearts are hard. 
As much as the, the hearers here, these disciples, their hearts are hard. So Jesus' words aren't so hard. And he confronts so many areas in, in, in this text where we're at. First, he, he confronts their response, right? The way, they, the way they respond. So think about the setting. Think about where they're at in this time frame. The Jews were under oppression um, by, the, by the Romans. They, the, they, they were living in Roman-occupied territory. Um, and this was an oppressive place for them to be. And their expectation of a Messiah, uh, of the one who was to come, was going to be one of political might, that he would be an earthly commander who would come with, with an, an abundant amount of military resources to overthrow the Roman Empire. That's what their expectation of Messiah was. And so this crowd was ready for liberation. They were ready to be free. They were ready to be um, redeemed and, and be freed from the Roman oppression. And so this, here's the Messiah who they have in their minds as someone who's supposed to be this earthly king who, who comes with mighty power and, and wipes out the Roman uh, leadership in the Roman Empire. And so that's their expectation. Jesus shows up and he continues to violate their expectation. He continues to say, hey, I'm not that guy. I'm not your guy. The one you're trying to set up here, the, the Messiah, the king that you're looking for, I'm not him. I am definitely a king. You better know that, that I'm a king, but I'm not the kind of king that you're after. I'm a king, but I'm not a king of this world like you know it, like you, like you think you want it to be. And so he confronts the way they're, they're responding right now, right? And then he confronts their, their sense of control. And this is where we've been the last few weeks, where he's also confronted us the same way, that, that, that he's been confronting us now for, for several weeks. And he says, hey, it is impossible for you to come to Jesus without the Father drawing you to him. So we landed in that text last week. We landed in a text the week before that said the same thing, that, that all that the Father will give me will come to me. So, so our self-control, our sense of self-control, their sense of self-control, Jesus begins to confront that and says, you can't come to me unless the Father who sent me draws you to me. And it is impossible to resist coming to Jesus if the Father is drawing you. All that the Father will give me will come to me. So Jesus is now blowing up our idea and our, our, our sense of self-control about matters of salvation. Like, like, here's the deal. At the end of the day, Jesus is saying, you and I, we're not in the driver's seat. We're not in the driver's seat. We're along for the ride. Jesus is in the driver's seat. God is drawing us to Christ. So he, he confronts their, their, their idea of, of control, their sense of, of control. And he confronts, all the time he's confronting their traditions, right? All the time he's doing that. Like he says, hey, I'm the greater Moses. You, you were out in the desert. Your ancestors were out in the desert. I'm telling you that I'm the bread of life come down from heaven to give life to all men. And, and you understand this because your ancestors, you heard these stories about them being in the, in the wilderness and God raining down manna from heaven. But you attributed that to Moses. You think that Moses gave that to you. And I'm telling you that God provided that to you through Moses. He's confronting their traditions and he says, guess what? That bread that your fathers ate in the wilderness, they, they ate till they, they were full and then they died, just like you and I do. He says, but I'm the bread that come down from heaven. You feast on me, you will never die. 
that, that that was just a picture of what was to come, that, that the, the roaming around in the wilderness, the manna that came down from heaven, that, that, that fed, your, fed your, your body to keep you alive, was just a shadow, a foreshadowing of the one who is going to come and, and give you life eternally. I'm the bread of life, Jesus says here. And he's saying that, 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 that you know what, he, I'm the bread that came down from heaven, and if you feast on me, you will never die. And here's where the disciples are like, God, man, this is hard. to I can't get my hands around, around this, right? So he's saying, hey, guess what? I'm better than your traditions. I'm better than your traditions and what you believe about the past and how you work your life today. So they, they feel now that their entire heritage is being called down on the carpet, right? So they're, they're, they're beginning to grumble. And they're saying, Jesus, what you're saying here is, is pretty offensive, you're saying things, you call, you're, like you're calling our heritage and, and our, 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 our history into question here. And so let's, let's maybe get real for just a minute. They hear, listen, they hear the words of Jesus. Jesus speaks and they hear. They respond with resistance and they say these words are too hard. And they walk away, they turn and leave, and then they go and redefine who Jesus is. Right? Think about that. Don't we do this? Don't we have the tendency to do this to say, I'm not sure what all the Bible says about Jesus, but here's what I think Jesus is. Here's who I think he is. And, and we walk away from the word of God and say, we, we start redefining who Jesus is. We fabricate so many different gospels. And listen, I'm not pointing to the, the, the pastor or the teacher or the church down the road or in another city. I'm saying every one of us have this seed in our hearts where we will walk away from the word of God and we'll fab we have this tendency to fabricate our own gospel, a prosperity gospel. You've heard us talk about this, right? This is where Jesus is a means to an end, right? I want Jesus so I can get this. And we talked about that often, and I, to be honest with you, I get quite angry when I, when I have to talk about that because that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the end. He is the goal. He is the one we're after, not something that he can give us or he can provide for us. And so the seed of this gospel, this prosperity gospel, is in the hearts of every single one of us. Don't be fooled. It is in the heart of every single one of us. Every person in this room wants Jesus to do what they want Jesus to do. Every one of us. We have that tendency. And so we have to stick close to the word so that we don't fall for that trap of saying, well, Jesus is going to get me what I want. Jesus is going to provide the easy living that I'm looking for. Jesus is going to give me the funds that I need to survive or to be rich. Jesus is going to make me healthy. Right, like Jesus is not a means to something else. Jesus is the end. And so we have this seed of, of prosperity gospel, and we have this seed of a, of a political gospel. And I, listen, here's the deal. I want you to hear me clearly before I jump off into this one. Um, every believer should, be, should care about their civic involvement. Every believer should be, because guess what? We are the people of hope. We're the people of hope. And so we must be engaged in a political process. We must be engaged in our, in our civic uh, involvement. St. Augustine, as I was uh, kind of studying, I, I picked up on, on this, uh, this little snippet from a book he, he wrote. He said, because Christians are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, they can be the very best citizens on earth. 
right? And so that's the reason I'm going uh, to please ask you to be involved. Don't check out on the, on the political process. Regardless of how dark and hopeless it might look, we are the people of hope. We can bring hope. We can bring light into a hopeless and dark situation. And so let, let us be used for that. Let us be holistically engaged in our community. What do I mean by holistically? Holistically engaged. Like, I'm, yes, at, at a number one priority, I am, I am concerned about the souls of men and women. Right? But, but you notice, for us, as, as a church family, we don't go door to door and say, uh, do you know where you're going to go if you die today? Like, we don't do that kind of evangelism because we realize that God has called us to care for the whole person, the whole community. And so physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally, we care about the, the whole person. And so we should be holistically engaged in our community. That includes the political process. And I want you to remember this. As we engage in this process, as we engage in this process, that our hope doesn't lie in some official or candidate for president. Please hear me. These jokers are not your savior. But I see people become so much more passionate about their political side than they do about their savior. And that disheartens me. It breaks my heart that people would get so rallied around a political cause before they would get rallied around a kingdom cause. And so your hope and my hope does not lie in any civic leader or any presidential candidate whatsoever. Joining the process all the while knowing that our hope lies in this king. That's where our hope lies. So... This example of a political gospel that I'm telling you, uh, we'll, we'll move into what that is now. So you see on, on TV, uh, uh, Glenn Beck or, or Pat Roberts, Robertson or, or Jesse Jackson, these people who, who take a gospel and they bend it to fit their ideologies. They say, this is, what, uh, this is what I understand about the gospel, and so I want it to fit around an agenda that I have. They bend the gospel. And the words of Jesus here confronts every political party so whether you're a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, or whether you're an independent, or a communist, or a libertarian, or a socialist, I don't give a rip about that because Jesus doesn't care about that. So let's, let's settle down for a minute. This political gospel can get us in trouble, and this is one that we would fabricate. When we leave the Word of God and we step away and start fabricating our own gospel, that's one of the gospels that will come out of that. A prosperity gospel, a political gospel would come out of that, that there's where our Savior lies in a, in a political hope. And Jesus is telling every party and every person, repent of your sin and follow me. Every person, every leader, every candidate, every party, repent and believe. Follow me. Prosperity gospel, political gospel. Then there's this inclusive gospel. And I might, I might go a place here that, that might be kind of hard. Jesus, this is the gospel that where Jesus is reduced from the only way, the truth, and the life, right? That Jesus can't possibly be the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And so that's an inclusive gospel that, that we're starting to see more and more of as people walk away from the Word of God. As they walk away and say, 
These words are too hard for me to chew. I can't receive this. I'm going to walk away, and I'm going to fashion my own idea of who Jesus is. And it comes as pos- it's impossible that he would be this, you know, I'm the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And here's the deal. When we think of our, our Muslim friends who we love, when we think of our Hindu friends who we love, when we think of our Buddhist friends who we love and care so deeply for, this hurts to know that they're not worshiping the guy who says he's the only way. They're not. And that hurts because I know for us, we have friends, dear friends, who who don't worship the guy who says he's the only way. And so we would have this tendency to fashion up this inclusive gospel that says, you know what, Um, we're not going to... We're not going to be that, that way. We're going to be staunch about that. Like, here, let, let me just say this. And stick with me. Don't get shocked and run out of the room. Every religion leads to God. Every single religion leads to God. That's a big question, right? Does all religions lead to God? Yes. All religions lead to God because I'm looking at every single beating heart that will one day, regardless of how you worship, you will face God. You will be led to God in the end. So yes, all religions lead to God. What separates Christianity from all other religions is that the judgment has already been placed on the cross. We have been counted as justified. What what went down on the cross was our judgment day. Christians have already been judged the cross through the cross and have been justified. We've been counted righteous through the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. All others will be judged on the last day. And it will be God who decides their eternity at that point. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus uh, prayed a prayer. He said, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way to reconcile sinners back to you, let this cup pass from me. And God's answer was, there's no other way. There's no other way. You're going to the cross. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. And God answered that question, said, nope, this is it. So there's the, there's the inclusive gospel, and then there's the self-help gospel. This is another gospel that we would fabricate as we walk away from the Word. When we read the Word, when we hear Jesus' words, and, it, and they're too hard for us, and we, we can't deal with them, and we walk away, and we start re, uh, reimagining and, and re-identifying who Jesus is, a, a self-help gospel would come out of that. Like, this, uh, this gospel says that Jesus is a motivational speaker, right? That, this gospel can be found 90% of the books on your local bookstore shelf. This is where this gospel can be found. Like, this is the one where Jesus will come to maximize your potential. Right? Like, he's, he's a, it's a self-help guy. He's a motivational speaker. Here's the deal. Jesus didn't come to make you a little bit better. Jesus did not come and give his life on the cross so that you could just be a little bit better and, better, and he did not come to be your life coach. He, that's not why, why he came. Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin by receiving all of the wrath of sin on the cross so that we might be the righteousness of God, right? And we read that last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin was made to be sin 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus came. And he confronts the crowd with this real gospel. He said, here's the real gospel. And their response is they're offended. They're offended and they don't understand it. And they're not willing to get in there and try to understand it. And so when he does this, when he confronts them with this real gospel, it starts rubbing them the wrong way. So the basic assumption should be that when Jesus says something or does something in Scripture, this is, the, this is our, our, our tip in this section. When Jesus says something or does something that doesn't sit well with me, like it doesn't resonate with me, I have to remember, I have to remember that he is good and I am not. So when I read Jesus' words and they're hard or they rub me the wrong way or they offend me, the, the most important thing I have to remember is that he is good and I'm not. Apart from him, I'm no good. So he confronts their expectations now. Look at verse 61 with me. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Right? So Jesus' Jesus' work on the cross, his death and his resurrection is the foundation of our confidence in everything that Jesus tells us. There's where our confidence and our hope lies that he he said he was going to the cross and he would only be there for a little while. He was going to die, but he was only going to be in the grave for just a little while, and then he was going to be he was going to be raised again. And that happened. And so Jesus is now saying, this is where your confidence is going to lie. If you're, if you're ever wondering if I'm telling you the truth, that's, where you, that's what I want you to remember. And so what I mean by this is, have, have you ever been in a place where you just don't think that you could believe Jesus for something? Like I'm in this place where I'm holding on to something so tightly and I just can't believe that if I let that go that Jesus is going to do something good with that. Have you ever been in that place where you don't trust him as he's ripping things from you and ripping things from your life that you can't trust that he's doing that out of love? Have you been, ever been in that place where you're just like, I can't let Jesus have that part of me. I can't let Jesus have this. I don't trust him that he's going to do good for me with this. I can't just let it go. Have you ever been in the place where you're just like, Jesus, I'm just really not sure if you're killing me or saving me right now. Have you ever been in that place? And here's what he's saying. What are you supposed to believe? What's your, what's your presupposition about this? I can be confident in knowing that Jesus has demonstrated once for all that he is for me. I can, be, I can look at the cross. I can look at the resurrection and say, no matter what, man, what I do know is that Jesus is for me. And I can, I can trust that, that he's not against me. He's not, he's not fighting against me, that he's for me and he's for my good. And this is the promise that you and I can stand on when everything else around us is falling apart. Everything else around us is, is being ripped from us and we can't trust God to let go of it and have faith that he's got our good in mind. That's the promise that we're to, to find our confidence in. That's what we stand on. So how do we get from these words are too hard to, there's nowhere else to go. You alone have the words of eternal life. How do we, how do we get there? 
Look at verse 63, just the first part of 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. I love that verse because that is, that's the verse that preaches against this self-help gospel. Do good, think good thoughts, be home before the sun goes down, don't listen to bad music, cut your hair, no tattoos. Like, it washes all of that garbage away and says, no, 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 the Spirit the Spirit is the one who gives life, life, not your behavior, not your appearance, not what you did yesterday or didn't do yesterday. The Spirit alone gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The Spirit is what makes the words of Jesus eternal life. And that's very, very important for us. So, so we can't receive these words as eternal life without the help of the Spirit of God. We cannot receive, we cannot understand, we cannot feast on Jesus apart from the Spirit of God, about, from the help of, the, of God's Spirit. And so if you pride yourself on being a gospel-centered person, like I'm a Bible guy, but you're not wildly in love with the Spirit of God, if, you, if you're that person, you don't understand your Bible. You don't understand your Bible because those two are cohesive. They work together. They cannot work apart. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit is not this abstract thought or this idea. It is the third person of the Trinity. And without the work of the Spirit in your life and in my life, you will say to Jesus, man, your words are too hard. Who can understand them? Who can, who can receive these words? And you won't want anything to do with Jesus. So if that's you today, let me just maybe kind of dig in there a little bit more personally today. If, if you've been hearing the Word of God, we've been, we've been trying to be as faithful to this Word as possible since we existed. And if you've been here and you've been hearing this Word of God and you walk away and say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, it's because God, you, you're trying to receive the Word without the Spirit. Those two have to work together. And without the work of the Spirit, that's what you'll do. You'll just walk away from Jesus and say, I, I can't deal. I can't, I can't deal with it. And so on the contrary, the Spirit's work in your heart, we can say with Peter, where else will we go? You are the only one that has words for life. Like, we don't have anywhere else to go. That's what the Spirit of God, that, that's what the work of the Spirit does for us. And, and we see this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel uh, with me. The words will be on the screen. I've referenced this verse often because it's a, just a beautiful picture of God doing the work in man. Look with me in verse, um, verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So you see what's going on there. God's doing the work of, of, of transforming our heart, trading out this heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh and then putting his spirit within us so that, so that we would walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. So it's not, now it's not out of uh, like... Oh, God, i got to follow the rules. There's a list of things. There's billions and billions of laws I've got to try to be mindful of now. When, the, when you have the Spirit of God in your heart, it is out of 
exceeding joy that I want the Father to be pleased by my obedience. I want, I want to obey God. I want Him to be pleased with me. I want Him to be made much of as I obey Him. So that's what happens when the Spirit of God is doing the work in us. And so here's my, my, for my charismatic friends in the room, like you're getting amped up right now. All right, we're talking about the Spirit, baby. Yeah, you know, and you wanting to probably get up and maybe run around the room or maybe not. I don't know. But let's get back to the text because we can't, we can't get too far away from there because he, Jesus also says at the end of verse 63, he says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. It is the Spirit and the Word working together to bring you life. In the opening of this whole series, I don't know when we started this. It was a long time ago when we started the book of John. But when we opened it, what we saw at creation was that Jesus was the Word. Right? Let me, let me read that to you in John chapter 1. In the opening verses of, the, of, this, of this book, of this gospel, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We're talking about Jesus being the Word. So we see that in the opening. But also, at creation, go all the way back to Genesis, and what was hovering over the face of the deep? What was it that was hovering over the face of the deep in the beginning? The Spirit of God. So it was the Word of God and the Spirit of God that was doing the work of creation, working together to bring about life. Those two can't work apart from one another, and it is the Word of God and the Spirit of God that is causing you and I to have new hearts that desire to walk in His statutes and are careful to obey His commands. Those two working together. So I'm sorry, my charismatic friends, we can't get too far away from the Word. They have to work together, right? And so the Spirit and the Word have the power to create and to bring life. They have the power to do that. Look with me at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Like, how, okay, so how many, how many right now, if we just opened up an invitation and said, all who don't want to follow Jesus... This is your time. Are these words so hard that, that you would have to get up and walk away and say, I can't handle it? Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12. So now we're down to 12. Crowds, multitude, people on a hill being, seeing miracles of God multiplying fish and bread, and now they're running around the lake after him, and he starts teaching about this, and now we're down to 12. That's, that's when we know we're preaching the right gospel, when people start walking away. When people say, that's, I just can't, you know. Without the help of the Spirit, you cannot. I'll promise you that. So he looks at his disciples, his 12, and he says, do you want to go away as well? Jesus opens up the invitation. Now's your time, man. Hit the road. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is a hard saying 
Who can listen to it? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm talking about night and day. How does one group respond so much different than the other group? It is when God takes your heart of stone, removes that, and gives you a heart of flesh and puts his spirit within you that causes you to say, these are the words of life. There's nowhere else I can go. And Jesus ends by saying, make no no mistake about it, Simon Peter. Make no mistake about it, Blake Foreman. Make no mistake about it, Sulphur Community Church. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Don't be deceived into thinking that your words, you're patronizing me right now with these words, is, is, is boasting my ego right now. You didn't choose me. You fools don't even know that there's a deceiver among you. You fools don't even know that I chose that man who I know is going to betray me. Don't be so pretentious or boastful as if you or your buddies are just a cut above everybody else. You see all these other people walking away because it's hard for them to understand. Let me clearly tell you that the only way that you understand is because I empowered you to understand. So don't walk around and say, well, you know what, I got it. I'm the Bible guy and I understand it. And uh, so, so, yeah, I'm a cut above the rest. Jesus reduces his prideful heart right there and he tells him, he says, Peter, listen man, one of you is the devil. Like don't, so, don't think you're so awesome that you guys have got it figured out. One of you, are, you're going to betray me like you're the devil. And so we're going we're gonna to close with this. Some of you may walk away today completely offended by what Jesus says. It, it, it's, it's natural for that to happen, right? I, I had to hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over and over before God finally coupled his spirit with it and gave me life. Other, every other time I would walk away and say, that's too hard, I'm just going to go do good works. I can't buy into that, so I'm just going to go behave well. That was, that, was my, that was my objective for so long being under the teaching of the gospel. So it's quite natural for you to hear the words of Jesus and be offended by what he says or to be indifferent to what he says. Some of you might walk away from here today and you might be boastful and arrogant that you chose Jesus, right? All those people out there were cut above. Like we, we, we picked Jesus we decided to follow Jesus, right? It's a good song. It's just not true. Jesus decided to call us, and we followed him. So don't walk away from here boastful and arrogant that you're better than anybody else. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's a gift from God. So that no one in here could be boastful. No one in here could boast about their good works. And some will walk away today realizing that Jesus saw you, that Jesus picked you. I still don't know why. I still don't know why he stopped and said, him. <laughs> I don't know why. What, what was it in me that he caused him to do that? But he did. And so you might be that person who's left savoring the goodness 
of the words of Jesus that you've tasted and that you've seen that the Lord is good. That might be you today. And so my prayer for all of us is that you would take these words and not walk away offended and not walk away proud, but in humility, walking away as one who has tasted and seen, has feasted on these words and has allowed the Spirit to minister to you and to couple those two things together, the Word and the Spirit creating life. Would you pray with me?